0: We have been on a very long series of the life and ministry of Jesus the Christ. The interesting thing about Jesus's life is that his life was his ministry. And that now we're going to be looking at the final days of that earthly life, at least as it is presently constituted. And even more, his ministry is more pronounced. Where we left off in his story was he was condemned by Pilate to be crucified. Something that he had already told his disciples the way that he would die. And that he told them repeatedly so that they would be aware that As we often say, God is in control. After Pilate had condemned him, we now pick up his life. And so looking at Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 20, it says this. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now we're going to take a look at another passage that's going to talk about this. But it's interesting that even this person who's come from Cyrene, the the city, the town of Cyrene, has come probably as a Jew to come and present himself in Jerusalem For Passover and it tells us that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus who are also two who will become influential in Jesus's after ascension ministry and the church and so this is not just a casual meeting of a man condemned and a man pressed into service now Cyrene was a town city that was established by the Greeks and later uh, controlled by the Romans in what is now present day Libya. So he came from some distance to worship as men are required to come three times a year into Jerusalem and Passover is one of those. And so we are told also in Luke starting with, Chapter 23, starting with verse 26, it says this. And when they led him, that being Jesus, away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming from the country and placed him on the cross to carry behind Jesus. Now, generally speaking, when it comes to the execution by crucifixion, the condemned was required to carry their own cross. And there's some debate on how that was. Some view it and probably a lot of our pictures of how that took place was that he would car- the condemned would carry the entire cross. Others said, no, they, they would simply carry the cross bar, the beam to the cross. Uh, but Jesus is unable to complete this task from Jerusalem to Jerusalem. Golgotha. And it is not because he is a weak person. I want you to remember that he so agonized in prayer that it impacted him physiologically. He sweated as drops of blood. He's been without rest or sleep for at least 30 or more hours. He has been beaten. He has been tried by Pilate, by Herod, by Pilate. He's been scourged. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. All of these things are causing blood loss. So it is not unexpected that even though that he was probably very physically fit and capable because of all the things that he had to endure, it was now difficult to carry either the full cross or that cross beam. And so now... Simon is required to do that. And they didn't pull out a volunteer. The Romans don't ask who wants to volunteer. They pick somebody out and they say, you do it. One of the reasons Jesus said, when somebody asks for you to go a mile, you go with them too. And so we see even in this, that Simon seems to agree either voluntarily or by force. Verse, continuing with verse 27, it says this. Well, and following him was a large crowd of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. Now, it's interesting, even if, if you see films of the Wild West, how it seems that there's always this party when there's a hanging or even if you see such films, one of my favorites, Braveheart, when they come to execute William Wallace, there's this big crowd because it's, a, it's an event. It's something that you come and strange in for our times, but they would bring meals and they would be, it would just be something that the whole family would see. And so you have all these people following Jesus because Jesus has been a a influential teacher rabbi, he's been popular, and now how the mighty have fallen. He's now going to be crucified. So let's see this awesome event. So there's this large crowd, and there were women who were mourning and lamenting him. Now, because of our culture, we kind of think, well, these are people who are sad to see Jesus happen. In their culture, there were people who, if if you had a relative die and there wasn't sufficient mourning, there would be people you could pay or people would just show up and they'd cry. And they'd cry loud. and Because in that way, everybody thought, well, how blessed is the person who just passed? Oh, weren't they loved? Didn't everybody just care about them? And so there's this wailing and mourning. And so I kind of suspect some of the, because of what Jesus is going to say, I suspect they're kind of saying, They're not crying because Jesus is going to die. They're crying because that's the thing to do. And so they're mourning and they're lamenting as as he carries the cross or as Simon does. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me. In essence, he says, shut up. He does it a nicer way. "Stop, Stop weeping for me. You're weeping for the wrong reason. For as he has told his disciples, this is the very reason that I came. But weep for yourselves and for your children. This is true for them and it's going to be true for future generations. Because if you remember in our last message, when they Pilate was seeking to release him. They cried out, let his blood be on us and our children. Jesus says, you need to weep for yourselves. You need to weep for your children because there are consequences that are going to take place because of this. For behold, the days are coming. When they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed," Jesus is telling them that there's going to come a day and there will be multiple days. When it will be easier if you had no children. Because he's going to tell them as he told them about his second coming and about the destruction of the temple that when you see certain signs happen, you need to get out of, and I say dodge, out of Jerusalem, wherever you are. And let's face it, if you've ever had children, taking one child someplace is difficult. Taking multiple children is like going to Mars. It's just difficult. And so he's saying, when you need to get out, those who don't have the responsibility of children are going to be blessed because they can move quickly. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and on the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And so he's telling them, and, and we see, we will see which we don't have much discussion because One of the reasons why people will say, well, the Bible was written, you know, the New Testament was written many years after the events and how can they be reliable? Well, one of the reasons that we know that all of the gospels and all the writings were conducted before 70 AD because Jesus had predicted and was wrongly convicted of saying that he was going to tear down the temple. But one of his prophecies was that the temple would be torn down and not a stone left it. And that prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD. If that prophecy had been fulfilled before all the gospel writers wrote and before Paul and other writers of the New Testament, they would have said, see, Jesus was right. But they finished their writings before 70 AD. But for you and me, when it says, may the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us, I'm sure that would apply back when Jerusalem was being uh, surrounded by the Romans and eventually there would be Masada and the death of, of many Jews. But in the book of Revelation, when God sends forth the various trumpets and all of that, and there is the devastation that takes place On the earth, rather than repenting, rather than acknowledging, because they say, in essence, they know God is God. But rather than repenting, they cry out, may the rocks fall on us, the mountains cover us. And that is how hard hearted we are. Rather than saying, yes, God, you're right and we're wrong. Forgive us. They say, hide us from the presence of God. Much like Adam and Eve did. Their response when they sinned was not to say, God, forgive us. It was, let's hide. Now let's continue on in Luke, verse 32 and 33. Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. So we see that Jesus, rightfully so, is the sinner. He is the, the one condemned that is placed in the middle. And they crucify him. They nail him to what we call a tree. Now there's arguments of whether the nails went into the palms of the hand or the nails went into the wrists uh, because they say, well, because of the weight it had to be the wrist, not the arm and whatever. You see, the Romans were very good at what they did and they didn't want you kind of half hanging on the, the cross, Because they wanted you to die. And they wanted you to die long and agonizing and suffering. So not only would they nail you to make sure you didn't get off the cross. They took ropes and bound your arms. Crucifixion. Is not an easy way to die. Oh, when we have our. Executions, whenever we do have them. We try to make sure that they are humane. Didn't matter what the criminal did to the person who they're there for. You know, we can't even, if the needle's dirty, we can't even use a dirty needle because that's inhumane. Well, the Romans perfected this death. So they would nail you to the cross. They would nail your hands that would stretch out. And then they would put one foot over the other, making sure that your knees were bent and then nail your feet to the cross. You did not die by crucifixion by blood loss. You did not die by crucifixion by exposure. You died by suffocation. You see, what would happen is this: is that the condemned would hang on the cross. They can't breathe when you're hanging. So what the Romans did was they 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 nailed your feet together so that you could use both legs and push up. And while you pushed up, you could breathe. But then, when your legs would weary, you would sink down. And then you couldn't breathe. And that would last for as long as the person had strength. Turn now with me to John chapter 19, looking at 19 through 22. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written. Jesus the, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. It was written in Hebrew so that those who d- dwell in Israel could read it. It was written in Latin because that was the language of Rome. And it was written in Greek because that was the international language at the time. The reason that the New Testament was written in Greek because it was meant to be read by everyone. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Now what they objected to it, but can you imagine now the inscription is really long in three languages. And it's not just king of Jews. He claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate's had enough. And Pilate answered what I have written. I've written. You got your condemnation. You got your crucifixion. I'm going to put on it what I say. I'm going to put on it. And, I talked to Jesus, and Jesus said he was king. In the next two messages, we're going to discuss Jesus' crucifixion. We're going to spend the first and talk about what commonly called the seven last words, I'm going to say the seven last statements because our society is so whatever, they go, well, it more than seven words. And so by saying statements, you'll kind of figure it out. The first week, next week, we're going to talk about the first three statements. And then the following week, we're going to talk about the last four statements. But I want you to kind of understand what's going on. So if you'll turn to Isaiah Chapter 53. We're going to see the crucifixion from our perspective. Isaiah 53 says this. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of the parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. I want to stop there. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, I don't care what he looked like before that. He could look like Brad Pitt. He was a bloody mess. So he had no stately form then. But when you see all these pictures of, of supposed how Jesus looked, they took those pictures from Zeus. Zeus. Jesus didn't look like that. He wasn't there because he was handsome. He was there because he was the son of God. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him we did not honor, we did not compliment, we did not view him as he was. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Not just afflicted by man, but afflicted by god but he was pierced through for our transgressions you see this is our perspective this is what he's doing for us he was crushed for our iniquity the chastising for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed that's why i told you when i saw that movie and and the actor played where He got back up and took the full measure. It's because he took every stripe that we might be healed of every disease and sin. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Notice there's no, not one. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. That's why I say the Jews didn't condemn and murder Jesus. The Romans didn't condemn and murder Jesus. Pilate didn't condemn and murder Jesus. We all did because we all sinned. He's caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? You were cursed if you hung on a tree. For the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with a wicked man. Yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Now I want to stop there. I want you to understand that. When we say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, I want you to see this, that God was pleased to crush him that we might be made whole. The son of God. Every single person alive then, before then, now, and until he comes, all together they were all believers. Still weren't worth what Jesus gave. The infinite man gave. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, which he did, he will see his offering. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. God will be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant will justify the many. As he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. This is what he has done for you and me. This is the crucifixion from our perspective. And yet, from our perspective, we can see as he will hang on the cross, the things that were identified as this person shows it to be Jesus. Now, I want you to take a look at it from Jesus' perspective, which I all too often think we don't do. So, if you will turn to Psalm 22. A psalm that Jesus himself will quote the first two verses from. Or at least the first verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groanings. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Can you imagine the one who communed with God? The one... Who did all that God spoke of? All, when he saw God do something, he did it, and now they're cut off. Yet you are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. If, you, if they trusted and were and they were not disappointed. But I, am not, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me steer at, sneer at me. They separate their lips. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast upon you, I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouths at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a posture. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of the earth. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. From the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name To my brethren, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. While Jesus is being crucified, he's saying, praise God. And I want you to praise God. For he has not despised nor abhorred the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard, From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even those who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born and they, and that he has performed it. That is what you and I are to do. We are to declare the glory of the Lord and this event. Several centuries before this, God had told a man who had his only son. This man's name was Abraham. And God told Abraham to take his son, his only son named Isaac, and go to a mountain that he would show him and to sacrifice his son. So Abraham dutifully did what God told him to do, took the wood for the burnt offering, took his son and went to a mountain that God showed him. And he placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac. And Isaac carried that wood up to hill. And Isaac, as they were carrying, understood what a burnt offering was and asked his father, O father, where is the lamb? And Abraham said something that was prophetic. He said, God himself will provide the lamb. Now Abraham placed his son on that burnt offering and placed a knife and was ready to strike. Abraham never thought that God would stop him. Hebrews tells us that he believed that his son was going to die, but that he, because Isaac was the son of prophet, the son of promise, that he would rise from the dead. That God would form an even greater miracle than stop him. And God stopped him because he said, I know now that you're willing to give up your son, your only son, because now I want you to understand what God's saying I'm going to do. And God, later that day, there was a ram caught in a thicket. Not a lamb, but a ram. Because the lamb that God was going to provide for himself was Jesus. For this day that Jesus is being crucified, if you'll recall a few weeks back, was the day of preparation. It was the day that they were preparing for Passover, which means while Jesus was being crucified, they were sacrificing the lambs to be used for the meal. And Jesus is our Passover lamb. But even more amazing that I believe and I believe that there's evidence to back this up. That, that hill that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son on, that God would later provide for himself the lamb, was Golgotha, that hill. And God was showing Abraham and all the saints that I'm providing that lamb now. On Golgotha, the place called the skull, So you see, God just doesn't kind of let things happen. Centuries before, God said, this is where the sacrifice will place place. This is where I'll provide the lamb. On the very day that the Passover lambs are being sacrificed, Jesus is being sacrificed. That he might be our Passover. That all of our sins, all of our iniquities be placed on him. That is how much value Jesus' sacrifice means. We're so often concerned about, well, am I worthy? I can't believe that God loves me. You're right. I can't either, and I get it. But it's not about you. It's about his love. His love is greater than your sins. Jesus proves it. His love is greater than any mess up you've ever had. Jesus' sacrifice proves it. And it is interesting, in our current culture today, we don't even talk about sin anymore. We talk about mistakes. Two plus two is five, that's a mistake. Committing chocolate or broccoli, that's sin. I wanted to use other things, but again, I'm afraid you'll think I'm talking about you or I'm talking about me and we're talking about all of us. We talk about his death and we ought to. We talk about his death because it is the faithfulness of God it is a love of God for us, that it was pleasing to him to crush Jesus. So when Paul later says, in essence, if he did not withhold us his son, why would he withhold any good thing from us? When we get the perspective of the cross right, we get the perspective of the rest of God's love more accurate. We are not worthy of this love. They loved us anyway. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And we're going to do it for the next three weeks. And the reason I chose this song for the next three weeks. Because it's one of the few songs. Christian either hymn or contemporary music. That doesn't talk about anything other than the crucifixion. The song will, most songs will talk about the crucifixion. Then they'll talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about the crucifixion. And I want us to understand the crucifixion. Because once we understand the crucifixion and the blessings that come from that. And getting us to be excited about the resurrection. I won't have to Try because you will fully understand just how much God loves you. Because his love ran red. It poured out when he prayed. It poured out when he was beaten. It poured out when he was scourged. It was poured out when he was nailed to the cross. And it will be poured out when they place a spear into his side. His love for us poured forth red, and all God's people said.